Welcome to this week's Arts Report. It is March the 30th, 2016. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and joining me today are... Tintin Yang. Hi, um, Andy. Last name, Andy? Andy Ta. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> All right, so Tintin, you are a new face, or should I say new voice, mm-hmm. to radio. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you wanted to get involved with the Arts Report? Um, I am a first-year science arts. I don't really know exactly what program I'm in. That's um, okay. <laughs> student at UBC, and I've always been interested in being a part of the CITR radio station, and I also really like art, and I like local art, so mm-hmm. this is a great way to get involved in that, I think. So, yeah. Okay, great. Well, what we have for you today, um, Arts Report listeners, is we have a variety of stuff happening. Um, one thing we do is we have a interview coming up with a UBC film grad, uh, Shannon Cohill, with her uh, uh, short film for the Crazy Eight Film Festival, A Family of Ghosts. Then we have a very in-depth review of um, UBC theaters, uh, The Arabian Nights, whom I think we all saw, I think, last week on Wednesday. Hmm. That's right. Yeah, last week, Wednesday, which was really, really uh, fun. And after that, we have our favorite... Uh, theater correspondent Jake Clark will be coming in later to talk about what's happening at the Norn. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a few commercial breaks before we get to all the good stuff. So uh, wait for us and we will return on Arts 101.9. Oh my God, on the Arts Report, CITR 101.9 FM. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. The most beautiful thing about my girl is the stillness. I must, I must have, have slept, slept for a long passages. time. And it must have this been noise, great. however, this is all the I do not hear it all as it was on the although it must have been a bit more. And my energy is so much being an audible only to the ear of the husband. The beast has ever even heard me. It simply cannot have heard me for all that time I kept very quiet that I dug the experimental trenches. The Burrow, hosted by Andy Resto. Mondays from 3 to 4 p.m. Alternative music, noise things, artist interviews, honest discussions, levity. Because music doesn't need to be fun. On CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. Oh, man. What? What? I really wanted to catch that football game, but I have to clean my room. I'm so bummed. Yo, man, totally chill out. You can catch it on CITR. CITR? Did someone say CITR? Yeah? CITR Radio brings you Thunderbird Sports on the weekends. Catch all the action and don't miss a moment of play with our live play-by-play and color commentary. Only on CITR 101.9 FM. Wow, that's great. And if you can't catch the game, tune in at 3.30 p.m. every Thursday for our weekly update on UBC Athletics with live scores 
recaps, and in-depth analysis. Oh, okay, dude. Okay, okay, dude. We get it. Dude. Only on CITR. And only on CITR is the Arts Report. We are uh, broadcasting live from CITR Radio 101.9 FM from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Again, I'm your host, Ashley Park. Joining me is... Tintin Yang. Andy Ta. All right, let's get right down to business. Let's talk about the Arabian Nights. So we saw the show, and this was last week, March the 23rd. We saw the, uh, the 7.30 show. Let's talk a little about it. How did you guys feel about the Arabian Nights? For me, I thought um, mise-en-scene-wise, like with how they did the staging and lighting, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, um, I've never really uh, have had experience with the Arabian Nights. I know Aladdin from the Disney movie, and I know yeah. I know Ali Baba and the third and the Forty Thieves from a children's book I read in the third grade. But that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty fun for the most part. Yeah, there's like all time great fart joke in this in this play. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, Tintin. Uh, I feel the same way. I have not had a ton of exposure to the Arabian Nights. Um, this is definitely like my first exposure to it. Uh, I found it also quite fun. It, it, I could tell that the actors and people on stage were definitely like having a good time while mm-hmm. doing it, and agreed the um, uh, what's it called this the staging yeah. was really excellent too. One thing I really liked is the fact that um, I, I think uh, for you and I, because we actually did a prior interview with um, Elizabeth Willa, who was the who was the lead for the Arabian Night. She plays. Sherazad. That's right. And we were a little nervous when we were going into it, to be honest, because I think she said that the site was kind of ambiguously in the uh, Middle East, some like vague locations. Mm-hmm. We were a little worried about how that would actually be on stage, but I think it worked in their favor because, again, this story is kind of like a framing device for more stories within the narrative. So the fact is, there are multiple locations happening throughout the entire play. So if they were to do a much more realistic or naturalistic set, you would have to think there would be set changes going about, moving stuff in, moving stuff out to evoke that particular location. I think it was great that they made it in more of a non-specific way because if they made it more not if they made it more specific, then the illusion would be coming out. Right. Uh, you need to have, yeah, the non-specificity yeah. worked in their favor, I think. If you have something that's oh, really of a particular region, it doesn't work when the story changes because it's a frame story. There's a, there's a major thing, and then we go into individual stories, and you need to have that kind of non-specificity for it to work, right? That's right. And because they were telling so many stories within the story, I feel like if they, if they had said it in a really specific region um, in the Middle East, um, it would have been it wouldn't have actually mattered that much because there was just so many, like, uh, extraordinary, uh, what is it called? Um, extraordinary, like, uh, strange stories that were happening without, mm-hmm. like, a general, like, location anyway, so. Mm-hmm. And one thing I thought was also very kind of good in invoking kind of the mood was the lanterns. Mm-hmm. There were hung lanterns uh, in the actual play that they, were, that they used for showing both um, the setting so where it was set, the time, so either morning time or night time, and also even which parts of the story were being told. So that the outside framing story with the uh, ruler Shar- Sharar? Sharar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to pronounce his name. But, you know, his story is the fact that he got cuckolded by his first 
wife. And so what he does is he gets a new virgin girl every night and then marries her, then kills her when it's dawn. So that's the outside story. And then the inside story is, again, the tales that Sherazad actually talks about. Right, uh, yeah. the, the parables. The parables, that's right. And the lanterns actually help kind of determine if we're in story or out of story, too. So I thought they were a very useful device and also being integral and not just kind of like a really pretty aesthetic thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. One thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is the story itself. It is written by Mary Zimmerman, and um, it is supposed to be kind of an intercultural a theater experience between um, West meets Middle East in sort of a way. Do you guys think that was successful or... Where could they have done better with the production and making it more intercultural? Oh, man. Um, so I guess the main thing that they do is really, they work really hard on the costumes, right? They worked really hard on the costumes. From what I can read right here, the costume designer, Nicole Berstow, actually did quite a bit of research in who these people were. The, um, the uh, caliph, that's the word, caliph, Harun al-Rashid, right. who was actually within the play, he was a real person. So she did research on him. She did research on his um, one of his wives and the specific time period and regional style. So that's the reason why I thought the costuming looked very to the era and to the set of that particular world. It didn't look too like let's be honest, like too Disney-fied. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it it didn't. Um, it, it still had a bit of theat- a, a theatrical aspect to it, though. So it was kind of period clothing, but zhuzhed up a little bit, if I had to uh, Describe it. it Yeah, but describe it. Yeah, it it looks very, very beautiful. And she did a a phenomenal job in making sure that the costume pieces, not only beautiful, were actually also uh, kind of effective in changing characters. Mm -hmm. Because once they undo the sash or they have that kind of thing around their head, they become a completely different character. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think she did both uh, very visually appealing and to, like a, I guess, a technical point, an easy way to segue into different characters. What did you guys think about, I guess, um, how they did with, this, this is going to get into a little dicey area, but what about the ca- casting? I know, you guys are like, oh, no, don't get into there. Let's talk about the casting. Let's talk about it. I know for sure I had the, um, the pleasure of actually speaking to the director, uh, Evan, and uh, I have his response to the uh, casting thing that could be potentially an issue, but I will save it for now. What did you guys think about uh, casting? Yeah, I mean, combined with uh, the costumes and the casting, you have what inevitably comes up in this in this conversation, which is the cultural appropriation question. Yep. And I don't necessarily mind when "quote unquote" white people are uh, dress up as different cultures or. D- Take on the clothings of different cultures, right? That's kind of cheesy, but it doesn't really bother me in a way it bothers a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you guys felt um, anything different from that. Um, to me, I think that um, seeing as many uh, like you know white people dressed up in the in this kind of attire, it was a bit strange. And like personally, I would have preferred to see more people of color in this play. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been really valuable to the story as well. Um, and then you could also like you know sidestep this kind of conversation perhaps, but. Uh, it, it wasn't, you know, like, awful or anything. Like, I enjoyed the play otherwise. Mm-hmm. For and me... Yeah, oh, and I also yeah, want to mention ahead. that it's not only white uh, actors. There's a lot of Yeah, there's also a lot of, of different yeah. actors of color. There's a actress who is of Métis descent. We have people who are of Persian descent 
who were actually a great reference point to the other actors within this production. I know that Francis Winter, who actually played Sharar, Shariar, Shariar, I think Shariar. I hate when I pronounce things wrong. Shariar, I believe. He is of Persian descent, and he was actually um, he was actually really happy that he got to play in this role because a lot of times um, the the productions that are chosen by a lot of um, universities, UBC included, are of that Western canon. Let's play mm-hmm. Shakespeare. Let's put Beckett on. Let's put the uh, great you know white playwrights on basically Beckett and Shakespeare are great though yeah they are pretty great I'm not knocking them down they're pretty great for a reason but it is again lack of diversity and also the written roles for right. the characters not even just the actors themselves mm-hmm. one thing I was that I really did like is the fact that um, one of my favorite characters was Harun al-Rashid I thought Harun al-Rashid was amazing and that was portrayed by actress Marion Barry when she played that character like very like really good imposing kind of nature but also respectful wise like a lot of good things were happening there and uh i i do have to admit that i enjoyed the acting portion they were a little weak on the musical side yeah Yeah. i I would agree yeah they Um, a lot of them clearly are not trained singers mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i know that they took a risk with it and i'm glad that they did i know for sure that for the university they want the actors to play like the music themselves on stage but the one thing I would have liked to see if there was a way for the university to have more of an outreach to the diverse clubs here at UBC. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. in terms of the music, they were like, I think one person playing the Persian instrument, which is the tar, that stringed instrument, and two people playing drums. It did not do a lot to help accompany the vocal aspect of the singer, mm-hmm. which I thought that's the reason why I felt really hollow and a little weird at times. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, it just seemed like it uh, was kind of just in the background and like vaguely audible sometimes, and it seemed like it didn't really contribute too much to it. Yeah, I know. At times it detracted. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was very effective, but it could have been been more effective if they had the um, they had the actual more presence on stage with. And it's interesting, right? Because it begins with the two people playing the drum. That's how the play starts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it kind of disappears a little bit. During yeah, the play? That's right. Kind of like mm-hmm. fades in and out, but it, it feels like, I don't know, very diluted version of the traditional performance. And I don't know if I, like, it was entertaining, but I don't know if, it, if for me as an audience member, would I, and I don't think they were trying to go for super authentic too, because they no. knew they had that restriction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they did the best choice in choosing. Zimmerman, and yeah, especially you, this one. You've said you've you've had some problems with Zimmerman in I've general. I've had some problems with Zimmerman in the past. A lot of it's like her, uh, and people might argue, and it's it's great if you do argue. If you do, please send us an email at arts at catr and let us know your thoughts. But I think that Zimmerman had a lot on the um, orient or the orientalism, orientalism. Uh, issue. Yeah. yeah, whenever I get to the word, I get cringy. Yeah, but it always feels like she puts us in this exotic fantasy place. And therefore, the point of view that you have to take as an audience is somebody from the Western point of view. Right. Like, always. like Because that's how she sees it, too. So this has to be always exotic, fantasy, blah, blah, blah. So when you are a person of that particular culture, you kind of feel like, hmm. And then you just want to, like, you know, lean back a little bit. Like, it, it isn't, you know, fantasy for me. It was, you know, my culture. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the main problems I had with Arabian Nights as well, especially the way that it portrayed all that fantasy. And then at the end, I'm not going to spoil it for people who want to go see it, but it is very provocative, let's just say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can leave it at that. <laughs> we can just leave it at that. But anyways, for those who are interested in seeing the Arabian Nights, um, again, it is until April the 2nd at the Freddie Wood Theater at UBC. If you are interested, go do watch it. It is very thought-provoking, which is great. It's not just baseless entertainment if you give it a little bit of thought in terms of context and whose story is being told and who is telling the story. And we'll be right back after a few short messages. Now repeat after me. Bugger off. Bugger off. Sod. Sod. Bloody. Bloody. Now put them all together. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Bugger off, you bloody sod. Okay, you're in. Every Saturday, from noon to 1 p.m., listen to Generation Annihilation on CITR 101.9 FM, UBC Radio, in Vancouver. Passionate, playful, and provocative storytelling. Theater at UBC's upcoming show, The Arabian Nights, by acclaimed playwright Mary Zimmerman, is being directed by Evan Frain and running from March 17th to April 2nd at the Frederick Wood Theater. The narrative centers around Scheherazade's tales told to King Shariar in hopes that she may live another night. For 1,001 Nights. <laughs> like friends well we like you so become a member and get a friends of citr card not only does it make you special but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on commercial drive like 10 percent off at Stormcrow tavern high life records audio pile mintage clothing and more visit citr.ca for more or come check us out in the nest Welcome back to the Arts Report, and uh, we have a special guest for you all. And we have a writer and director for the upcoming Crazy 8 Film Festival, who is also a UBC film grad here. Welcome to the show, Shannon Cohill. Thank you so much for having me. All right, well, great. Thank you so much for being here. And one thing I wanted to ask straight away is, what was it like entering into Crazy 8s? Uh, crazy it's is something I'd always wanted to do, and uh, it's one of those things you pay $50 and you come up with a video pitch, and if your video pitch is selected, you get to go to the next round. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those, you know, let's just go for it and I'll figure it out afterwards. And let's talk a little bit about your film that you submitted to Crazy Eights. It's called A Family of Ghosts. So it's set in the 1890s, and you have a girl named Abigail, and she grows up by the care of her four grandparents. And in her 20s, then she falls in love with this poor piano tutor. Her grandparents are very overprotective. They don't like it. But they're also ghosts. Yes. Yes, it was something... I had the idea a couple of years ago when a friend told me that although her grandmother passed away, Mm -hmm. she felt her grandmother's presence. Okay. And it was... 
it was reassuring, but it was also she felt a little bit of judgment. Aye. And she felt that she couldn't always make the choices she wanted to because her grandmother might not approve. So I had this idea of this young girl whose all four grandparents are ghosts, and um, they, they're very protective, and, you know, they raise her, they help her out with things, but at the same time, they, they don't think her choice in, you know, in they, men they, is yeah, they, <laughs> good they want, enough. They want her to be with somebody that they approve of. Exactly. So how long did it take for you to get that idea and then make it into a script ready for Crazy Eights? I'd had the idea for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. I've got lots of ideas. So it was one of those ones that I kind of pulled out and thought, this this would be fun for Crazy Eights. And um, so with Crazy Eights, I think I submitted in November. Mm-hmm. Um, by December, I'd been selected to pitch in person mm-hmm. and then gone on to the next level where it was script. Um, so I wrote the script quite quickly and workshopped it over um, only a couple of weeks. You don't have much time with Crazy Yeah, that's right. So it didn't take me that long to get it to the script part. Were there any challenges or changes since the film's inception? You mentioned that, you know, it is very to the time. You have to get it, like, done, done, done. It's like, it's like kind of like a knockout round almost. Like, were there any challenges in providing such a film? There were definitely a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had this idea in my head that it was a period piece, mm-hmm. that was a huge challenge because yeah. it meant <laughs> costumes and it meant, you know, beautiful locations mm-hmm. and set deck, um, production design. And then I always had this idea of horses in it. Mm-hmm. So it became very big and ambitious. And I was absolutely amazed um, because it's really it's really busy in Vancouver right now. That's right. And everybody I know is working. And I was so amazed at how many people came out to help, worked for free on a three-day shoot. I think mm-hmm. at one stage we had a crew of 90 and wow. everybody was volunteering That's their time. huge, yeah. Yeah, and we had so many um, companies and people come forward. Uh, Panavision gave us a camera for free and um, Highcroft Manor uh, let us film there. Um, you know, so it just all came together, so. That's really great. And now that you did mention kind of the film industry, you've been working in this industry for about 12 years now. Uh, previously, you worked on Robson Arms, You Don't Live Here Anymore, and AMC's The Killing. How would you describe Vancouver's film industry right now? I would say Vancouver's film industry is the busiest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it this busy. With the American dollar being very strong, it has encouraged a lot of productions to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, Vancouver's known for its beautiful locations. It's known for its really friendly and experienced crews. Um, so I think it's you know it's a great time for Vancouver film right now. And you were a previous student here at UBC for the film program. And what were kind of your experiences in this program that kind of shaped your career now? I would say the UBC film program was fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. From the get-go, they were very, very supportive. And I was working on set in lighting in order to pay tuition. Mm -hmm. And I was able to kind of juggle that around my schedule. So it gave me a good idea of what happens on a real set versus school. So it was a really nice balance. But um, UBC, they were so supportive. Um, Fourth year, I wanted to shoot on 35 millimeter. It meant getting, I think we got $1.5 million in insurance to cover all the gear we needed. And they went ahead and said, okay, you know, here it is. You can go make your film. Let's talk a little bit about the film terms. For people who don't know what 35 millimeter is and why it's so expensive, could you let us know what that is? 
Um, so, okay. <laughs> long, long time ago, <laughs> we used to film on film stock. Okay. And there was 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter. Um, very rarely would it be 70 millimeter, but um, 35 at the time was the most prestigious to film on. Okay. It was also the most expensive to film on. So now pretty much everything's gone digital. You hear of occasional films mm -hmm. um, still shooting on film, but mainly everyone's digital. So basically what you mean is that UBC Film and Film Department is very supportive of what their students can accomplish. Yes, yes. They didn't They didn't put any limits onto what we could go out and do. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about working with Crazy Ace. You talked about doing the workshops with them, talking about working with them in, um, in general. You worked with a producer named Rob Meekinson. I hope I'm saying that right. Yes. Great. What was that like, and what was working with Crazy Eats like? Um, well, I'd, I'd known Rob for a long time, mm -hmm. and we had discussed uh, various projects. And when I thought about A Family of Ghosts, I thought he'd be perfect for it, and he jumped on board. And Crazy Eats, they were amazingly supportive. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it was like needing something last minute, getting on the phone to them, or through the workshops, where they really gave you a great overview of how you're going to make this film from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Would you say that Crazy Eights is a viable option for UPC students who are interested in, you know, who just graduated, or maybe they're still in kind of like the film program and they're working to get their name out there? What would your advice be to those people who might be interested in Crazy Eights and other projects? I would, I would advise everyone to go for Crazy Eights. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is very competitive. I think, um, you know, every year more and more people submit. And so this year, 179 submissions. Wow. And at the end, only six Congratu Congratulations. Submit. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I had tried previously twice before. So mm -hmm. I do have to mention that. Do not give up. If yes. you don't get it the first time, <laughs> keep going for it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's an um, amazing organization and allows you to make a film you know, in eight days. Uh, you mm -hmm. need a lot of sleep after the eight days, yeah. but you do have a great <laughs> film. Let's talk about the eight days then. So you have to make a film in eight days. How did you divide up your time? It sounds like such a huge project. Well, you have as much preparation as you can fit in the months they give you before filming. Mm -hmm. And they only let you know that you have it a month before. Oh, wow. So you've got a lot to fit into that month. Mm -hmm. And then you have three days to film and five days for post-production, editing, sound editing. So putting everything together, you know, getting the composer on board ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, but basically you're giving everything to, you know, your post-production team and they have five days to do everything. Ooh, that still sounds like such a lot of work. But for people who are ambitious, I'm pretty sure, such as yourself, they can make it work. So let's talk a little bit about um, your film and how it's going to be featured at the Crazy Eights Film Festival. When would people be able to see it? Well, we had the, the big Crazy Eights screening mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, but now we're, you know, we're going to put together um, sort of some local screenings Great. and we're sending out to film festivals mm -hmm. um, so Vancouver Film Festival, Whistle Film Festival, um, there are quite a few festivals we're going to send it to and then we're hoping to take it to Cannes Film Festival next year. Yeah that sounds great and is there any other projects that you're working on that are upcoming? Uh, yes, I always have lots of projects. Um, I've got a number of short films that mm -hmm. I'm looking for funding for, as well as a couple of feature films. And I've optioned two novels to direct as features. Wow. So I'm adapting those into, uh, into scripts. Well, that sounds like such a lot of amazing work coming from you in the future. And again, thank you so much for being on our show. If people want to see A Family Ghost, then they'll be able to see it in the future in other film festivals. 
Yes. All yes, right. and eventually it'll be online on the Crazy Eights website. Okay, great. Just wanted to know about that. Anyways, we'll come to a few short uh, messages, then we'll go back to your wonderful coverage on local arts events. This is the Arts Report. You're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and today with me was my guest... Shannon Coley. Thank, Thank you. you. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends downtown, like 10% off at Bang On T-shirts, Beat Street Records, Studio Records, Community Thrift and Vintage, The Fall Tattooing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. there has been one voice in the local Vancouver art scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of a few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today, or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved with Discorder. All right, welcome back to the Arts Report. Uh, I'm your host, Ashley Park. I'm joined by my two lovelies. Jake Clark. Andy Ta. See, you guys are my lovelies. Yeah, mm, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so Jake, I think you have something special for us. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got the usual. They got the norm plug, but I also got to notify that, that this is the last three days of the norm standard programming. What do you mean by standard programming? So the norm uh, does double features uh, every night from Wednesday to Sunday, mm -hmm. uh, on every week from Wednesday to Sunday. But th this Friday is their last for this academic year, Ooh. and they've got some pretty they've got some pretty good to close it off, uh, good features to close it off with. Mm -hmm. Tonight there's the Umbrellas of Cherbourg and the Young Girls of Rochefort, which both feature Catherine Deneuve. And if you are attracted to women, you do want to see this. <laughs> you do, yes. Um, and then the next two are Brain Dead and I believe Bad Taste on um, to, on tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> on Thursday, mm -hmm. and those are Peter Jackson's earlier features. Oh, really? Because yeah, before he did Lord of the Rings, he had these three sort of gory, slapsticky, very fun all all practical effects movies, <laughs> um, and they're just very entertaining. Uh, there, you can see sort of see the aesthetic that happened in Lord of the Rings. If you if you like Lord of the Rings, they'll uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like the Lord of the Rings movies, I think you'll like these. If you like, let's not mention the Hobbit here. But um, <laughs> why I like the Hobbit? I I enjoy I enjoy it too. But it's didn't like, I know, I know. It, it's it's farther along. <laughs> but uh, the um, these are, they're very fun. Like there's uh, there's this the, what was I can't remember what beast. It, there's, there's like uh, uh, Brain Dead is like a zombie movie. Okay, zombie movie. And it's really over the top and very very fun movie to watch. And then. There's uh, the on Friday. The last two are Spring in a Small Town and Hard Boiled, and these are both. Um, I know almost nothing about Spring in a Small Town, 
I'm told it's a very good one. It's a very kind of intense drama. Do you know about it, Andy? I know Hard Boiled. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Hard Boiled I have seen, and like it's the most, it's one of the most insane, over the top cop movies ever made, right? Really, I, I kind of want to watch it. Then I love cop movies. Yeah, like it's, it's a Hong Kong cop movie. Yeah, so. oh, wow. Chow Yun Fat good. plays a policeman. That is good. It's just he's it, it, immediate everywhere he goes, he's just shooting everything. Okay. Yeah, like I he, think I like the killer more, but hard yeah, the killer, the I, I, me too, because it makes well, it makes more sense for a hitman to be that indiscriminately. <laughs> like he's just yeah. shooting every. He, he go. He slides down a banister, shooting two guns at the same time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, a lot of good stuff happening at the Norm. There is a lot of good stuff happening at the Norm. I highly recommend dropping in. It's it's some very good programming and. Seriously, I don't want to be the only one in the theater, especially for Brain Dead, because that's going to be weird. But um, <laughs> yes, I, I I highly recommend all of these features. And if people wanted to go see them, when would it be, and how much would it cost? So all of these start at seven o'clock. The first one always starts at seven o'clock, and then the mm-hmm. second is variable, usually around nine. And it's usually five at uh, five dollars admission to cover everything. So oh, okay. five up front, you could see all six. Wow. Yep. And I, that's been the deal for the entire year. I highly recommend it. And uh, also, the Norm does have summer events, and they'll be revealing those at these um, at, at the the booth before these screenings, I believe. Okay. So there will be some information about that. Okay, I getcha. Mm-hmm. So, and sounds like really good. That sounds yeah. Really fun. Yeah, it, it it is really fun. Again, I highly recommend it. I can't recommend the Norm enough. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of the it's it's a student uh, it is it is it is a student uh, it's a student venue and we a lot of these movies are very hard to find. I've been personally trying to find Brain Dead on DVD for a long time, mm-hmm. and the fact that they can be seen here that's really that's really great stuff. And again, it's kind of like community community kind of stuff happening. Yeah, and like and speaking of community, like there's. There are st- contributions from students, though, which the norm has also shown. There's, uh, yeah. there was love, approximately the films, the yeah, sorry, the, the, the UBC fil- yeah. theater and film department, right? Yeah, yeah. and that, that's just that's just part of the the uh, the showcase of work students of UBC can uh, attend, including yourself, actually. Including Wait. me. Did we ever cover that the Brave New Playwrights uh, your Brave, Brave New Playwrights <laughs> contribution? I've oh I've, I've, I've I, started yes, I've started right. on the road here. I uh, I did contribute to the Brave New Playwrights. That was uh back in uh, March, just a few uh, few shy uh, weeks ago, March 17, mm. 18, 19, uh, 20th. And yes, I was actually part of program uh one. Yeah, I was uh my play was called The Bus. And what was it about? Well, what was it about? A lot of times people ask me the same question. If you too. say a bus, I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna go loco. It's about a bus. It's about the bus. It's about the bus. Yeah, to be yeah, definite yeah. article, my friend. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. For me, I just wanted. I, I guess I wanted people to have their own experiences in a bus setting. Basically, the premise of that was I have a lot of weird bus stories. I actually do. Uh, I don't know why. I think I have something called an, an approachable face. You know how some people have, like, a resting bitch face? That's yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Mostly women, apparently. Mostly women, apparently, which is super sexy. Hey, I see one in the mirror every day. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason radio is my chosen medium. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Um, anyways, uh, I have a very approachable face, so a lot of times I get a lot of weird interactions on the bus. Sometimes they're very awkward sometimes they're very sad sometimes i fear for my life but in a way they are kind of a reminder to me that even 
while we're traveling, we want to be isolated, but we're still social creatures. That was really interesting to me. Like the bus is kind of a little microcosm of life as a whole. Like you are trapped in this place with other people, and yeah. you have to all you know be in your little separate areas, but you're still right. going. And that's what kind of makes the interaction threatening sometimes, right? Because you can't really leave. Well, you, you can leave, you can but leave, but you got to go where you get get where you're going. That's right. That's and it right. seems like specifically urban life, right? Yeah. Yeah, very much urban life. Very much urban life. So yeah, this idea where you're you know surrounded by millions of people, but you still feel a bit lonely sometimes. Um, yeah, definitely. And out of my weird interactions with people along the years, and man, there were quite a lot of weird interactions along the years, I decided to write this play in kind of a different way. It wasn't just a linear a storytelling style. It was more location-specific, like what people would be like on the bus. If you were seated away from a certain actor, you would not be able to hear their story. Just like if you were seated on the bus like far away from someone talking, you could only hear like maybe a few... like. So this is all going on simultaneously. All simultaneously. And um, it was also audience participatory. Because I wanted people to have a particip- like have kind of like an active feel that they're on this ride with the actors. So it was audience participatory also. And other people who didn't want to go up, they just had to stay in their seats. But yeah, the actors invited people up on stage. They were able to interact with the others with the actors the others were able to watch them interact with the others which was also quite hilarious unintentionally at some times because there was like one guy at the opening show i thought he was a plant because he's his facial expressions were so freaking funny there was that one guy with the bugged out eyes being like what the hell is going on here (laughs) you thought he was vegetation no a plant like as a plant in the audience like why, why, why would you put why would you, like would you put the pot on the chair? Or? Oh no, the, a plant is like when an uh, audience it, member is already in on specifically the, uh, for the play. So he's carrying the plant. <laughs> Wait, are you joshing me? Uh, are you being actually confused? Who's on? Unfri- no, yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I knew it. You. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. Well, you was got there me like good. a fear of um, the audience not participating? There was a mm. fear of the audience not participating. There's always a fear of the audience not participating, which is the reason why I tried to bring all, a lot of my friends if I could. And I tried to get Christine to uh, be one of the people, but then they chose another person, which is good. But yeah, there's always a fear. And that's also the reason why I did add in that end scene in which the actors even call out the other people, hey, even if you're just watching, you think you're not participating, you're still a part of this. Mm-hmm. So the other people were kind of, sur- were they, the audience was obviously kind of a surrogate for you in this situation, the person being approached by the various actors? Yep, the audience were, they were also surrogate of me, but they're also surrogate of, their, of other people's experiences as well. Because I've had a lot of experiences where they're not always positive, and I've had experiences in which I wish... I could have asked that person, hey, what's wrong? Can I help you? Like, I wish I had that assertive, more assertiveness to go out and reach to another person and not see them as a threat, but an, as another human being. And I lost that chance sometimes. But you do get blindsided. Like, it's, it's hard to interact in it that. Is, it like, is hard to interact. There's, which... a, there's a great situation in the play where an, an audience member is uh, sitting between two cast members who are having a conversation, right? Yeah. And I was wondering if there was a fear of, uh, whether this audience member would disrupt the flow of the play mm-hmm. by interrupting and, and asking, like, hey, maybe do you want to switch seats with me? Mm-hmm. Which is what I would have done in like a real-life situation like that, which mm-hmm. has happened to me. People are like, talking across you, and you're like, you know what, uh, you just want to switch seats? Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't happen in the play. 
That doesn't happen. Like, if they did, what I wanted to do is I told my actors, these are the lines I wanted. These are the actual powerful lines of meaning. But if you want to, add in your own improvised dialogue. So there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of improv coming from my actors. I knew that it would be quite difficult, but they actually did a really great job. One scene in particular at the start is I have this male actor. He's supposed to guide, such as yourself, Jake, a male gentleman to sit next to him. And he's supposed to okay. say, smile for me. Like, come on, smile. You look so much better if you smile. Which is the kind of like the arguments they use mm. to women almost all the time. Yeah, that's that, that's got it. I t- that's got to sound. I've th- I've heard that said, and it's always seemed incredibly cringeworthy to me. Yeah, like you look so like, much better if you smile more. Come on, smile. Are you a model? Like that's such a beautiful smile. Like he did a great job. I didn't even write that line with the model part. He just went for it, and I was so impressed by my actors. Like they did such a great job in that regard, and that was kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted people to not feel like it was them writing the bus, but another person's experience and how would that person feel? So I wanted them to not just be a surrogate of myself, but again, what I mentioned before, other people. I can see it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of put them in their sh- in your shoes and... Like, you have to. Because, mm-hmm. uh, but that, but it, by allowing them to participate too, it's not like it forces you to be in their shoes because I've seen that done like in plays where like, imagine you as this. That's, that's how bad PSAs go because you yeah. can't imagine yourself in it. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually there and you actually insert, then you do see it because you can also react how you would react. Mm-hmm. Like as Andy said, to stop the conversation, if that's the way you'd react to the situation, then that's how that situation would affect yeah, you. Yeah, and I wanted people to have that choice as well. If, if for some reason they were not having any of it, which mm-hmm. is really funny. At closing night, at closing night, this is a really funny story. At closing night, there's a scene in which one of my actresses has to ask, you know, people what time is it? And she asked a certain lady, and the lady said, go get yourself a watch. <laughs> and then my... Oh, snap. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, my God, how will my actress bounce back from that? Oh, my God, is this over? I can't watch. I can't watch. So she talks to another person. Excuse me, do you know what time it is? She gets the time. She said, you were so much more nicer than that other lady. Thank you. And I was like, oh. Oh! My God. But yeah, everyone can react however they want to. It's just the situation that they sometimes get, they won't get because of either their gender or their race Mm. or even maybe their age. So how many times did you end up uh, seeing your play produced? I only saw it two times. I wanted to go to the matinee one, but I saw two out of three. Okay. Um, Opening night was very, very funny. A lot of people laughed, which is great. Closing night, more people got somber. Which was great because I wanted people to get the humor and I wanted people to have the end message kind of firmly like, like, whoa, dang. So you mentioned the, the smile situation. That's that's a gender-based situation, would that you say? A, that's a very gender-based yeah. situation. So what, 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 reason why what I would, a male gentleman up there. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, about, what would be an example for race or age? I'm just trying to... Well, there's one thing about race, which is really funny. Uh, there's this, there's going to be... There's this one actor who takes on a kind of a chipper elderly woman as a character. So the actors portray multiple characters, uh, too. Yeah. So she, well, I wrote in the script, talk to a person of uh, who's not white, mm-hmm. and then at the end say, wow, your English is really good for someone like you. Oui. Yeah, I know, because that has happened to me. I can just count off the time that much had happened to me, and I was like, um. At the beginning, I used to say thank you a lot. And I realized, why am I thanking them for their ignorance? 
Like, I shouldn't thank them for assuming that I don't know how to speak English and I surprise their expectations. I thought it was just really weird that I kept on saying thank you and now I don't say thank you. And in my script, if the person who's not white says thank you, she even tells them, you shouldn't thank me for my ignorance. Oh. Yeah. And age? Age one is, there's one with like a teenage girl and she is crying. So you see a lot of like, you know, like young girls crying on like, you know, and then you don't do anything about it. You're like, oh, they're crying. What do I do? And you like kind of like leave them alone. If you let her cry the entire time and you never ask, hey, what's going on or anything like that, you will never get to learn her story. But if you do ask, hey, what's happening? She will actually stop crying and tell you her side of things. Really? And that is from something that did happen to me. There was a young lady who was crying and I felt really bad. I felt like I should, like, offer her, like, a tissue or do something. But I just sat there and just listened to her crying over my music. And I felt like such a shitty human being. Oh, sorry. I felt like such a shoddy human being. Good save. Yeah. How does that relate to age exactly? I, I, might, I might be missing something. I might. I might mm-hmm. uh, How does it relate to age? Yeah. Well, mostly the the age thing is brought by the, the older lady questioning the audience oh, sort of thing. Oh, okay. That, okay, so, okay, so that I can see, you know. Yeah. Generation. Like a generation thing, like you're like, oh, she's like an old lady, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, like, you know, blah, blah. But at the same time, you you should at least say, like, you know, you know, you shouldn't say thank you to that. It just affirms that they already believe. You should, if you're not going to say anything, don't say anything. Let them stew in their awkwardness and make them understand what I'm doing is wrong. I should not do this anymore. Hmm. It was kind of like, I was trying to, it was, a little, it was a little Brechtian in the way that I was like, <laughs> Ah, audience must learn a lesson, but yes. not not always. I wanted people to genuinely mean, wait, find out. Wait, you mean Mac the Knife was in this? <laughs> no. Is that, like, I don't know, could, could somebody, like, sing Mac the Knife? Because I really like that song. <laughs> Maybe I should put that in my next, my next Even play. The Bobby Darren version is actually weirdly dissonant, but, but the, the, it's still, it's a good song. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I, I will put that in my next play. It will be like... Pirate Jenny would just be yeah. weird. But um, so, and how long was the play going on? Like, how many of these vignettes would the were probably like if if one was, was only to focus part. on one, yeah, uh, and a, like on one section of the bus, sort mm-hmm. of. And how many vignettes would they experience? Just one? No, um, at most, at like the most, they had three separate scenes happening simultaneously. Okay. Um, but most of the time, it was one at a time, mostly because of time limit. Because for Brave New, it has to be around 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, so it's, it's pretty succinct. It was pretty, pretty fast. and Snaps. Snaps, yes. like that. And what I did is I used a announcement, like a bus announcement, as a way to segue from one scene to a different scene. Mm-hmm. And the bus announcements I made sure were quite absurd. So after like uh, seeing your, your play staged, you know, were there things you were thinking of changing while you were watching it, or were you just happy with how it just played out? For me, I know a lot of my peers were like, I can't watch it. Ah, is there, yeah. like, killing my baby, that kind of thing? Whoa. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I felt like a really, like, like I felt like the director who worked on my piece, he really knew what I was going for, which is really good, and that's the reason why I actually think Brave New is really good for people who are interested in writing plays who are interested in seeing how their plays would come to life because you get to have that real collaborative experience of working with a real working director in the Vancouver theater scene. And for me, I think the only thing I had issues with was the sound quality, mostly because some parts of it sounded really quiet. Like in Heathers? 
Yeah, like in Heather's. Yeah, like the, uh, like maybe it was like the the mic or they weren't projecting their voices enough. But by closing night, they had already fixed that, so I wasn't too worried. Would there be other things that I would particularly change in terms of what I wrote in terms of content? Mm-hmm. Not really. I actually. Wow. I know. I know. Some people are like, oh, I need to edit this out, blah blah blah. But for me, it really was something I wanted to write. I would maybe like to have written more scenes within it, because I have a lot more. Horrible things that happened to me. Listeners, you might not be able to see this, but I'm like literally just my face is blank. Oh my god. Anyways, I've had some Wait, things what's... happen to me on the bus that was horrific. Like some I... guy with a trench coat and a thousand yard stare. Oh god, worse than that. <laughs> Honestly, will... like a lot of this is pretty interesting. I, I always have my headphones on and pretend I'm asleep, so I've never really had weird experiences like you seem to have regularly. I I have so many of them. Like, one time I got into a fight on the bus, and I didn't mean to. Like, I got into a fight. Like wow. Yeah, because there was this, like, okay, what happened was it was, like, like roughly around Halloween, and there were these, like, group, like, of punk-ass kids. Sorry. <laughs> I, punk butt kids. Punk butt kids, and my gosh, they were just uh, being really, really rude. They were saying, like, I'm going to dress up like a like a fob for Halloween and my last name is going to be something Wong or whatever. What? Yeah, no, I'm not even joking. And then I was like, um, excuse me, excuse me. And they're like, what? They were in yellow face? Yeah, they were thinking of yellow facing for Halloween as a honger or whatever. Like, I don't, Uh, I don't care. Like, (laughs) yeah, I know. And then I was like, um, excuse me, excuse me. How would you like it if, if I dressed up in like white face and like had your stupid ensemble on the backwards cap and blah, blah, blah. And then like, it, 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 they were like, "What are you talking about?" And they cussed at me, and I like was like, "You were blah blah blah. That's not even that's not even a costume. It's a real person." Blah 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 blah. And then like we got into like a bit of a shove, and then I I like I pulled my mu- my muscle that really hurt. But then the thing is when when I shoved, then they like when we got into a little bit of a shove, other people got up and they were like, "Hey hey hey, calm down." And then like. They got off one stop after, but I was like, "Yeah, t- t- take that off my arm." It's. I got a similar story for Halloween. Is uh, I was on the bus in my hometown. Mm-hmm. I was dressed as the Joker, mm-hmm. and apparently it was a really good costume. Oh, great! Because I, I can do a good impression of the Joker. You know, like I just, <laughs> I, I, I just do things. You know, sort of like that. I don't yeah. know. He's, he's uh, he based the voice off one of my favorite musicians, Tom Waits. So mm-hmm. I guess it took a little. But I had everything. Like I had the suit. I mu- I must. I greased up my hair and I then let it go so it was all hanging in my face. Yeah. I I got the makeup, including the. Under the eyeshadow, I was looking at my lips like uh. all the time when I swear. And I was sitting, I, you can't see, but I'm sitting with my fingers steepled, my face downward, and yeah. kind of with eyes tilted up, so I'm Kubrick glaring yeah. a bit. And like I was just, I was thinking about nothing, but I I saw like there's a bunch of guys who got on the bus and looked at me and like, and I just looked up and then made eye contact. They just turned around, about face, out the bus. <laughs> uh, was like, just too much for them, a little too much. Like this, this was a. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. Maybe, maybe they thought I was packing. It was right after that. Oh boy! It was, yeah. It was, um. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. It was when oh. I realized that this might be slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. I went to a Halloween dance dressed like that. I didn't. I didn't do so well, you know. So it might have been awkward. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. That's mm-hmm. okay. It's still pretty. Uh, it's still mm-hmm. pretty kind of. You know. You know. Yeah, but no. Like, there's there's a word for people who would like try to who would dress up who would go in yellow face for a Halloween costume yeah, no, and that it, word it, is asshole. It's just yeah, they're just butt butts. 
they're just butts. They're just huge butts. So anyways, I always have a lot of weird things that happen to me. And what I wanted to do is I wanted the audience to kind of explore what it's like to be in a place where, like, you are kind of like you have to be open for anything. And I think theater is actually a good way for it. Because in theater, people are, are open to playing along. Like, if you have a good show happening, they're willing to believe that these people who are actors are actually these characters. They are willing to believe that this scene is actually happening in real life, that kind of thing. So I thought it'd be really fun to bring back the word play into play. Oh, I I see what you did. I know. Uh. I know. Anyways, that was the reason why I wrote it and... The, the most, like, thematic issue was, again, like, you know, if you are not participating, are you really not here? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Are you really not here if you're not participating? Mm-hmm. All right. And on that note. That, that is a hell of a way to end the show, actually. Yeah, and on that note, anyways, again, thank you so much for listening to this week's Arts Report. Um, we was had a call-in a- show. Nah. We had a lot of cool stuff. After us is the really cool Sharing Science. Yep, on animal sexuality this time. On animal sexuality. Oh. There's two ways to take that <laughs> one, but I don't think it's the I, I, I don't think it's the one I'm thinking of. Ooh, who knows? We will see. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Arts Report and Theater Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muscogee territory in Vancouver. I am your host Ashley Park. Jake Clark. I was Andy Ta. Cheers, folks. What do you mean you was? You still are. Okay. <laughs> well, unless. Unless. Dun, dun, dun. Let's listen in as one poor soul tries to find something good to enjoy on the radio. Let's see here. Uh... Oh. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Oh, this is awful. Well, I climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up. Isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be stressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really topping the charts, pick up a copy of Disorder magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Beauty at this dimension, one symphony, is also beauty at a smaller dimension.